Fado, Fado, a long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods, there was a tale, they told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. And so there was to be war between Connacht and Ulster, but this war would not be fought by just Connacht and Ulster, for Maeve, she King of Connacht, was wise and wily. She was known for her wisdom, for her generosity, for her bravery, and for her skill as a tactician. Maeve had made many alliances, formed many treaties with the other kingdoms of Ireland, and so when she raised her banner of war, so too were banners raised all across the island of Ireland. From every province, from every county, from every kingdom, large and small, troops came to Connacht, to Rathcrogan, to rally behind Maeve and to make war on Ulster. But even with all these troops at her back, Maeve was still cautious, for she would be facing the Red Branch Knights. The Red Branch Knights were the elite fighting force of Connacht. Trained since boyhood, loyal to King Connor, it was said that even if all of Ireland were to join forces and rise against them, the Red Branch Knights could not be defeated. And Maeve had almost all of Ireland united against her back. But even with her great numbers, she still worried how she would defeat the Red Branch Knights. The answer? Well, it came from an unlikely place. It came from Fergus. Fergus MacRoish, former King of Ulster. Fergus had been tricked out of his throne by clever Nasa, but still for many years he loyally served Cahor. Fergus was loyal to Ulster, and loyal to Ulster's king, for kingship was a sacred bond. The king of the land was joined to the land. He entered into a mystical marriage with the goddess of sovereignty, and while he was a good husband to her, was a good steward of his kingship, she would smile on him. The king needed to be perfect and pure in body and mind, give sound judgment, put his people before his pride, and this was how Fergus had ruled. And this was how the boy King Connor had ruled, listening to the whispers of his mother Nessa. As a boy, Cahor had been the ideal of kingship, but as he grew into manhood, that changed. Fergus watched the change, saw his king grow proud and make ill judgments. Fergus watched and served and was loyal for as long as he could be, but Fergus was a man of honour, and there was only so much he could take, and one day Cahor went too far. There were too many lives lost and ruined, too much blood spilt, too many promises broken. Fergus could no longer follow Cahor as his king. Fergus could no longer live in Ulster, that land he had once loved so much. It was all too tainted. In his eyes the stain ran too deep to ever be washed clean. And so Fergus MacRoish, former king of Ulster, turned his back on the place that had once been his home turned his back on what once had been his country. He chose to be an exile, and it said that one third of the noble men of Ulster followed him, choosing to be exiles, nomads, than belong to a tainted country and a tainted king, with no land to now call their own, no place to call their home. The former men of Ulster went to Connacht, for it was known that the she-king of Connacht was often kind to refugees, would take them in with open arms, much of the land in the east, in the land of Connacht, it is strewn with rocks or covered in bog. The wind is hard and fierce. 
The wild Atlantic lashes its coastline. Storms blow in from across the sea. But there was a richness to Connacht. Not a richness of the land, but a richness of wisdom. Maeve saw that the people were the wealth of the country. And so she encouraged any who had a skill, had a craft, who could make and could teach others to make. Those who came with nothing were welcomed, for they could learn. So the exiles of Ulster went to her. And there was another reason. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And Fergus and Maeve both hated Cahor Macnessa. When Fergus arrived at Rathcrogan with his people behind him, Maeve looked on him fondly. Not only had he brought her troops, but Fergus was a fine specimen of a man. His name itself meant virile. He had broad shoulders, strong arms, muscular thighs, and his ability to please a woman in bed, while it was almost as renowned as his ability to kill a man on the battlefield. Her eyes still upon the fine figure of a man before her, Maeve leant over to her concert allele and whispered to him that she felt a desire to play a game of fitchel, an old form of chess, and that she might invite Fergus to play a round or two that evening in her chamber. Allele sighed. If that's what pleases your mood, shall I round up seven young men to wait outside the door, in case the old warrior isn't quite up to the game? Maeve smiled and patted Aleel's thigh. A man without an ounce of jealousy, my dear. Thank you for the offer, but I believe it won't be necessary. I'm quite certain Fergus will be able to satisfy my desires for this evening. And satisfy them he did. Maeve had a very fine chess set, with a board inlaid with ivory and precious woods, figures carved from gold. But I'm not sure how many times Maeve and Fergus got to laying out those pieces, for they had other things to lay out. Fergus was there at Rathcrogan when Maeve gave the call, when the armies of Ireland assembled before her. It was Fergus who told her how the Red Branch Knights could be defeated. It was Fergus who told her of the curse of Ulster. Fergus who told her of the curse of Macca. There had once in Ulster been a farmer called Cruach. Cruach was a wealthy farmer. He had good land, he had plenty of cattle, and he had had a wife. A wife who had given him two beautiful children. But, sadly, his wife had passed away. People began to tell Cruach that he needed to marry again. He needed a woman in his life, someone who could run his household, someone who could raise his children. But maybe Cruach held too tightly to the memory of his wife, or, or maybe he was just too busy to go courting. But for whatever reason, he did not look to remarry. And time passed. A year. Two years. Three. And then one winter's night, when he was sitting by the fire, watching it slowly die down, the children fast asleep in their rooms, the door opened and in stepped a woman. A beautiful woman. She stepped in with summer on her lips, with starlight in her hair, and she stepped into his house as if she was stepping into her own. And just as if she had stepped into her own house, she began to go about it, making it safe for the night. She took the foot water, threw it out into the darkness so that no evil spirits could enter the home. She went to the fire. She banked it up so it was burned safely all night long. Keep the house lit. Keep the house warm. Keep the house safe. She went to the children. 
She tucked them in, brushing back their hair from their faces, kissing their foreheads and making sure they would have good dreams. And then she went to Kruak's own bed, took off her dress, lay down, and waited. Kruak had watched all of this in silence, but now he rose to his feet, walked to the bed, looked at this this beautiful but clearly otherworldly woman lying naked on his bed, and he said, Who are you? What, what, what are you doing here? What do you want? And the woman spoke. I am Maka. I am one of the Tua de Danon, one of the Shining Ones. And I have come here to be your wife, if you will be my husband. If you will love me, cherish me, but not speak of me, I shall bring prosperity to your lands, I shall bring happiness to your children, and I will love you. All I ask is that you love me, cherish me, and do not speak of me. And Kruk, he looked at Maka, and then he took off his own clothes, lay down on the bed next to her, and that night the two became husband and wife. And Maka was true to her word. She brought prosperity to Kruak's lands, she brought happiness to his children, and she loved him. And Kruak, in return, he loved Maka. He cherished her, but he didn't speak a word of her. He didn't talk about her magic about how she could she could spin cloth out of starlight. She could run faster than the wind. He didn't speak a word until he was called to the hall of the king. It was the time of year when men of note were called together to give accounts of themselves, and Kruak went, and there were many tales told that night, much boasting and much drinking. Towards the end of the evening, the king brought out one of his horses, He began to praise the horse. There was no faster creature in Ireland, no faster being in all the lands. And Kruak, who by this stage had probably had maybe one too many, said, (laughs) Yeah, I bet Mac is faster. And silence fell on the hall. All there knew that King Connor, King Cahor, well, he was a proud man. And you didn't speak against him, not unless you could back up what you were saying. The king called, You! Farmer, if you've got something to say, we'll say it loud so that we'll all hear you. Crook sheepishly got to his feet and said, Well, um, Your Majesty, I was just saying that I, uh, I, um, I was just saying that, that I think my wife could run faster than your horse. And the king said, Well, let's put it to the test. Let's have a bit of sport. Guards, go to this man's house. Bring his wife here. We're going to race her against my horse. And farmer, if your wife isn't faster, if she doesn't win the race, well, then I'll be taking your head. Guards went to Kruak's house. They burst in the door, and they found Maka sitting there by the fire. And they also found that she was full and round with child. Maka looked up and asked them, What do you want? You, the king, he says you're to come with us, you're to, you're to race against one of his horses. What? No, you you can't be serious. You can't raise a pregnant woman against a horse. You can't. No! No, stop! But the guards didn't listen. They grabbed Maka and they dragged her towards the hall. 
Maka turned to the men assembled there, to the members of the Red Branch Knights. Please, please, men of Ulster, you know this is not right. You know this is not just. You can't race a pregnant woman against a horse. But the men, they'd all taken up the cry started by King Connor, by King Cor, and they were all screaming, Race the woman! Race the woman! So Maka, she turned to the women of Ulster. Please, please, women of Ulster, you who have children, you who know how dangerous this time can be, please, I beg you, do not let your men do this to me. But the women of Ulster, they just turned away. And so Maka was dragged outside, was lined up with the king's horse. King Connor, King Cahor, he stepped forward and he said, Three times, three times you shall race around the hall. And woman, if you do not beat the horse, your husband's head shall be the price. And so the race began. And Maka, she was one of the two a day, one of the shining ones. She could run faster than the wind. In the first lap, she was faster than the horse. She ran around. The people had never seen a creature move so quickly. She moved faster than the wind. She crossed the finish line for the first time, but just as she did, she stumbled. She let out a terrible cry, clutching at her stomach. She screamed because it was coming. The baby, the baby, it was coming. He was coming. It was coming too soon. It was coming too early. But it, it wasn't just one baby. It was twins. She was pregnant with twins and they were coming now. But still, she kept running. She ran as the pain it was ripping her in two. She ran. The people saw her run faster than the wind, faster than the horse. The blood trickling down her legs, forming pools as she ran. She crossed the finish line for the second time, screaming in the agony of it, but still she ran. Maka ran faster than the horse. Maka ran faster than the wind. She crossed the finish line for the third time. She won the race, but lost the children. Two wet bundles. They would have been a boy and a girl. They, they came too soon. They came too quickly. They, they got, they got tangled up in each other, and they, they strangled themselves, trying to breathe. Maka lifted the bodies of, of what would have been her children. She held them tight to her breast, and then she turned on the people of Ulster. She turned on them, and she laid down her curse. In their hour of greatest need, when the armies of their enemies assembled on Ulster's borders, every man old enough to grow a beard on his chin would be struck down for nine days and nine nights with the pain of labour. Every warrior, every champion, every member of the Red Branch Knights. And the women, the women who had turned away, the women who would not speak out, they would not be spared either. There would be no one there to protect them when the armies came, the soldiers who would take without asking. All would feel her pain, all would feel the pain and the anguish of Maka. And those assembled there knew that the words spoken in labour, the words spoken in childbirth, they are the most powerful thing. 
They are stronger than the promise made to a beloved, more potent than the whisper on a dying breath. They cannot be changed. They cannot be altered. They cannot be broken. Maka, she laid down her curse on Ulster and then took her dead children away with her into the other world. But the curse, it remained. Fergus told all this to Maeve. And when Maeve heard, she began to smile. Every man of Ulster, old enough to grow a beard on his chin to be struck down with the pain of labour. Every member of the Red Branch Knights to be lying in the agony of childbirth. And Maeve knew the pain of labour and the pain of bringing children into the world. She had borne eight sons and three daughters, and the thought of the Red Branch Knights and Cahor Mac Nessa, imprisoned in that pain for nine days and nine nights, it was sweet to her heart. And what's more, Ulster would be open and theirs for the taking. The Dunkuli would be hers. Maeve called for her armies, and she marched on Ulster. And as the armies of Queen Maeve assembled on the borders, they heard the cries coming from the men of Ulster. Every man old enough to grow a beard on his chin was suddenly struck low with the pain of labour. And to that sound, Maeve crossed over into Ulster. Thank you for listening to this third episode of me tackling the tawn. I hope you've enjoyed the story and that you will continue to enjoy my telling of this tale. In the episode description, you can find some of the sources I've used to help me create this story. And you'll also find links to the various social medias. So if you're enjoying this or if you have any thoughts, feedback, comments, if you've heard a different version of the story that you prefer, please, I would love to hear from you. Get in touch with me on Twitter at Tales Shadows, Instagram, Tales from the Shadows, Facebook, Tales from the Shadows. All the links are in the description. And if you are really, really, really enjoying the podcast and would like to help to support it financially, there's also a link to the Patreon. I hope wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, that you and your loved ones are well, that you are safe, and that you continue to be so. Bye.